Welcome back to the Servizijn podcast. My name is Lauren Somers. And I'm Jeroen de Tijd. And today we have a special guest again in our studio. Not actually physically, but digitally from Germany. Um, he's born on a Friday, just like today. We're recording this on Friday, the 1st of December. But he was born on Friday the 13th in Australia. He has been a barista in Melbourne and is now a senior strategic designer at Lufthansa Innovation Hub. He's also now the co-organizer of the Global Service Design Conference and loves to talk about rituals, journeys and designing for humans. We really welcome you in our studio, Adam B. Cochrane. Thank you for, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And actually, I have some special news, which is I will actually be the director of the Service Design Global Conference uh, for Helsinki So, and into the future, hopefully. So there you go. Taking on a little bit more responsibility. Let's see. That's super yeah. nice news. It's breaking news for us. So uh, breaking news. Congrats. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I had such a good time last year at the, the Service Design Conference uh, in Copenhagen where I was a speaker. And then uh, this year where I was part of the organizing team, organizing the speakers and then also moderating on stage with Adam St. John Lawrence. And we had so much fun. It was quite exhausting, but I thought, why don't we uh, commit a little bit more? And now I will be yeah. the director for, for Helsinki. And I think Helsinki will be one of the best conferences we've ever had. Uh, very, <laughs> very excited. The team there is very, very uh, committed and amazing and every conference I've been to that's been in Helsinki has been always amazing normally ends up where I'm very very uh, let's say uh, relaxed after having a few cocktails and singing karaoke so I look forward to that moment on the Friday night singing karaoke uh, and celebrating with everyone uh, this year as well so let's see how that goes yeah but happy to be here thank you for having me yeah, well, we you you just mentioned uh, Copenhagen. It's actually where we met for the first time. Well, we met by seeing you on stage giving your talk about um, rituals. Um, but we really met. I think it was the Friday or the Thursday after the um, one of the conferences where we had cocktails on a, a nice outdoor terrace in uh, Copenhagen Harbor. That was really nice. So um, it's great to just see you again and have a nice chat so how how have you been recuperating from uh, berlin uh i think uh i made the very smart decision encouraged by my lovely partner to uh actually take the weekend off and we did nothing uh fully relaxing fully decompressing uh it took me a while to relax but then we also went to Vabali uh to a sauna and spa here which is absolutely gorgeous uh, highly recommend anyone that visits Berlin to go there. And we uh, got massages and really relaxed and rewarded ourselves for, for a great conference. So I recovered quite well. But then uh, Monday came and, of course, it was back to work. But uh, after a month, I think the team is still very, very happy and very excited by uh, what we achieved. We had so many fantastic speakers from around the globe. Uh, my you know, speakers from... Uh, today agency in Melbourne, some speakers from uh, Indonesia. Uh, we had uh, speakers that, that called in uh, from India, and some speakers from America and South America. And it was just so good to actually have all of these global people um, 
and and heroes of mine, I would say, like Lou Down and Mark Stickton and so many great speakers that I always looked up to uh, come to the conference that I was organizing, and that was uh, really, really cool. So I, I'm still very, very hyped and uh, obviously looking forward to, to 2024 as well in yeah. Helsinki. Yeah. Is yeah. Um, as Jeroen said, I think we, we've met two years ago where you were on stage giving the talk. Yeah. Uh, last year, you were also on stage, but um, <laughs> yeah, welcoming the speakers uh, from the organizing team. Um, and next year, you'll be the director. Um, yeah. Looking back on those three years, I think a lot has changed. Um, but um, for where does this enthusiasm for the for the global service design conference come from how did you end up there well yeah it's it's a good uh, i think it's been quite a journey of my career actually um even since the early days uh well since the early days of being in berlin and working in service design i was also part of the the what we called jam berlin which was actually the community that ran the service design jams so adam st john lawrence and Marcus also organizing these uh, service design jams around the globe. And uh, I got involved in the Berlin team and we started to organize this. And I remember <clears throat> 2014, 13, I think was maybe my first year doing the jam in Melbourne. And then when I came to Berlin, I was like, yeah, I want to want to be a part of it and help out again. So actually running these community events and the jam is 48 hours for those people that don't know, go, go check out globaljams.com. I think it is org. And uh, have a look there, and it's 48 hours where you can kind of hands-on have some fun doing service design practice. You go out in the street, do some interviews, prototype with so much cardboard and post-it notes, and then do some demonstrations. And, you know, it's kind of the, the fun part of service design. I would say also good for maybe your partner or friends that don't know what you do exactly, invite them along for the weekend. And then, yeah, so I started organizing that and we did that for about, I don't know, six or seven years. Uh, so that was always a big part of like my, my career it was always like my job. And then I also do this community work. And then after that, we actually uh, handed that over to a fantastic team that's still running the jams. We actually had a jam two weeks ago, the global gov jam that was looking at government services. And I was coaching. It was also a great weekend. And then uh, we started doing the service design drinks in Berlin. So the service design drinks is another type of network where we're similar to, to what we do, what you do here, invite amazing speakers and guests a little bit more locally, and then have some discussion drinks, you know, get people together. And we also did that through the pandemic. Uh, I think we have some episodes still online, uh, had some fantastic guests there. And so that was also a, like a, a way to bring the community together. Um, and then we handed that over and then I was a little bit lost. And then I got invited to speak at the, the global conference in Copenhagen, which was a huge honor. I mean, that's a, a really quite a, a fantastic conference and uh, an amazing, um, I guess, accomplishment to be on stage uh, at this conference. And so I understand that. For a lot of people that apply and maybe that's the first time speaking at a global conference and you know it's a huge uh, um, achievement and then the, yeah then uh, they enjoyed my talk obviously enough to invite me back to be part of the organizing team and obviously being the having the conference in berlin uh, was uh i just had to be a part of it so my community that i'm very very proud of and very very excited for i love berlin um i've been here quite so many years now and uh, yeah, so that that's kind of led me. So it's always been part of like my job, 
I don't know. It's always been like, I do my work and also I do the community stuff. Um, and uh, I think that's something that's really important to me to give back to the community what I learn. I think, I think it's even more than your job. The way you're talking about this, you invest <laughs> considerable amount of time not just work week, but weekends, evenings on uh, bringing people yep. together. Um, you've, you gave a talk about rituals. You've talked about investing in uh, organizational culture, but you also talked about uh, getting friends, family uh, to know um, about service design um, with the jam. Why is this so important to you? <laughs> uh <clears throat> I'm really just like a lot of pain. No, uh, that's not it at all. Um, no, I, I really enjoy, I mean, service design and being able to design things and uh, being able to influence decisions and propose how we want the future to look is actually quite a privilege. I think as a service designer, we have a very special role, a very privileged role to have a lot of power and a lot of responsibility and a lot of influence in the way that we shape our companies and organizations. And we've been given uh, through our own work and through uh, what we've learned and studied and, and, and found the opportunity to, uh, let's say, influence what we want to have in the future. And that's a, that's a huge privilege. And uh, I think Everyone should have that opportunity to influence the way that they work, influence the organizations that they work in, influence the services that they want to use in the future. And um, a lot of people would love to be able to do that also and maybe don't have the opportunity, um, haven't been given the, the education that we have. And this is also why I do mentoring on a website called ADP List. So if you're looking for some mentoring, then you can also find me there as well. Uh, it's a great website if you're wanting to get into service design and understand what service design is. But I think giving back to those people that um, maybe didn't have the same opportunity and the same privileges that I have is really important. So sharing the skills of a designer, the way we think, the way we influence our future, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's super important because, um, yeah, we've been given quite a gift and... Uh, yeah, without sounding like someone that's super religious. Uh, yeah, it's quite an honor. And I think that's worth sharing. So um, giving that, that gift to other people as I, well. Yeah. I think we, we every service designer I've met really loves doing what we do. So I, yeah. I kind of, yeah, I kind of feel what you, what you mean with the privilege of being able to think about the future, work on the future and, and co-creating with lots of different people from different backgrounds. It's, it's a responsibility, right? I mean, there is a lot of, uh, let's say, not so joyous things in our work, dealing with uh, corporates and uh, people in uh, suits, uh, not that oh, people in suits are bad, but, you know, dealing with uh, complex GDPR regulations or designing for compliance and stuff like this. There's a lot of uh, things that can be quite um, stressful and anxiety building and imposter syndrome and you know, sometimes you have to deal also with a lot of complexity and people that just don't appreciate your work and uh, service design and working as a service designer can be quite uh, tricky and difficult. Uh, you're trying to herd cats sometimes as well, bring all of these people into the one room to talk about a single service for, for users that they don't see maybe as relevant. There are some challenges, but I think overall it's, it's a huge privilege 
and uh, quite a special role, I would say. I mean, maybe want to uh, add on that as well because I was really inspired by your, your talk about rituals on the uh, service and conference two years ago in Copenhagen. Um, because yeah, you hear a lot of, of a, a lot of um, uh, yeah, good talks about storytelling, for example, and also the the difficulties and the challenges of uh, of service design. Um, but I I found that you brought it very simple uh, again and back to the basics. Talking about rituals being a, a good tool to convey new strategies within a, a company, or even uh, to let people feel or empathize with their um, end users. Um, can you maybe guide us through that process uh, of designing rituals and, and investing in organizational culture? And how do you do that? Yeah. So what, what is ritual design? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I discovered it um, some years ago, actually, from, from a few different people that were already um, kind of leading the way. There is, of course, the, the Ritual Design Lab out of San Fran with uh, Corzat. Uh, he, he's doing some fantastic work uh, there as well. And there's also um, a, a few other people that are also within the uh, Ritual Design space that are, are kind of leading this way. So um, definitely something that I kind of stumbled upon and, and have not have experienced myself. But Ritual Design is really um, about... Uh, not just creating habits for users and uh, for the, our teams and culture. So a habit is something you do on a repeated uh, basis, but ritual design is a little bit more adapting to this kind of human side of things where it connects us with our values and meaning. So it's things that we do on a repeated common basis. Uh, maybe it's once a year, uh, like, um, you know, the work Christmas party, or maybe it's more often, uh, let's say, uh, like, a, you know, let's say coffee chats, if you have that or something like this, where you kind of say, hey, look, what we value at this organization is that we connect with each other, that we learn from each other. So let's set up this small ritual. And uh, that might be a bit of a habit sometimes, but it can turn into a ritual when you say, let's do this consciously, let's celebrate this, let's acknowledge this and this kind of thing. And ritual design can come in so many different forms, but it's the conscious, I would say, as, as design is, the conscious application of actually trying to create and define these rituals that you might have within your company, but also within your product. So one example that I often use is if you buy a Porsche, um, then, uh, you, you know, that's a product about how you can build some uh, loyalty towards your brand and some uh, investment and connect it to the values of Porsche is, you know, by attending like a Porsche owners club or a classics Porsche club or go for a Porsche drive where you really feel the, I don't know, whatever they say is a car company a power and all of this kind of thing. But this kind of collector's club also connects you with people of like-minded people. It connects you more with the brand and the values of the brand. Um, it's something that you can attend on a common basis and might be a highlight for you uh, to kind of connect with that service that they're providing. And like we have that for products and services, like every time you open up a, I don't know, an Apple product, you kind of have this ritual of unboxing and now people are making youtube videos about the unboxing experience that's a bit of a ritual in itself where it's like here's your new product yeah good luck but actually it's a bit of a process where you can appreciate the quality and the craftsmanship and that's something that apple represents you know good quality products and that's what they want to have as part of the ritual and then you can also apply that to your work culture so so what are the values of your organization so for instance um, when i was working at ixds 
one of the values that we wanted and and was this learning from everybody and appreciating everyone else's learning journeys. So when we had our birthdays, we didn't just do the awkward coffee and cake uh, where you kind of like, oh gosh, I need to go say happy birthday. So I get some cake and then I run back to my desk and it's very awkward and maybe someone decides to sing happy birthday and then that's super awkward as well, and, you know, whatever. So we just said, okay, this is a, this is something that needs to be consciously redesigned, right? Uh, so at IXCS, what they, <laughs> what we did. Are too familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry for everyone listening that just got a little bit of, <laughs> a little bit of a traumatic flashback. But what we did, maybe you could also take this as we said, no, actually, this is something that doesn't appreciate. What we want to do is we actually want to value you as an individual and what you're interested in, your passion. So, uh, before your birthday, the, the office manager would reach out to you and say, hey, Kay, um, it's time for your birthday. We're going to buy you a birthday book. And this book uh, could be anything. Uh, we had some people buy maths books, uh, complex mathematics in uh, product design. We had some people, of course, I bought like the, this is service design thinking book, um, you know, uh, great books uh, from all different uh, perspectives. And so you buy a book for yourself, like you get a book as your present. It's very clear, you know, that's what you get. And then for uh, you actually, we actually buy that book for our library. And this has a couple of benefits. One, it's like, here's some investment into your future, into what you're passionate about. Uh, we buy a book that you're interested in that you can then uh, share with us all together and everyone else can also read this. Um, it also shows appreciation to that person and say, hey, look, we value with someone and here's the day that we choose to show that value. But also what happens is in our next all hands, uh, we called it um, team exchange, <clears throat> is that you would stand up in front of everyone and say, hey, look, it's my birthday. And everyone says, happy birthday. No awkward singing or anything. Just happy <laughs> oh. birthday. And this is the book that I bought. So then you kind of get to explain why this book is interesting, why you thought this book would be interesting for yourself. And so that everyone else can also be like, oh, wow, this person's passionate about this topic. Um, and uh, we really appreciate that. And maybe I will also read that and we can talk about that book as well. And then the other thing is, which I know is a problem for some organizations, is that your library stays up to date. So you don't have like these old uh, great uh, magazines or books from, I don't know, the 90s, but you're also constantly updating the, the library with new and interesting resources, which is also really, really cool. So it's yeah, really that, a that's a good application. Of, yeah, it's a thoughtful way of, of sharing as well and, and bringing that sharing into a, something that happens anyway, instead of an awkward get together singing and eating cake, which is also nice yeah. still. This, this is really, but this is designed. Uh, as in, this is really yeah. deliberate. You, this doesn't happen on uh, by chance. And I think, uh, you know, we, we kind of reiterated the steps in that process and reiterated who has the responsibility. We also tried everyone to do book signing, but that often didn't work because the book would be laying around the office waiting for everyone to grab out the pen and sign their book. But, you know, we kind of changed it over time. And that's also a good point of a ritual is, is a, you know, and a good application of design is that design is iterative. You don't just get a perfect ritual the first time you try it. It's often what I see people struggling with is that they try and, you know, apply a ritual design and say, hey, we're going to look at our processes and rituals. And then they, you know, they, they, <laughs> they implement all of these rituals, often far too many rituals, uh, trying to solve everything. And then they don't iterate it. No, that, that didn't work. No one liked that. And then they go back to the same things that they were doing. And uh, instead of iterating and changing and maybe redefining and learning, uh, they just, oh, throw it in the bin. So, um, yeah, 
I think for anyone that's trying to apply ritual design, a good advice is to to iterate, take it slow, step by step, and uh, see what's not working and change it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From your personal perspective, applying ritual design, because the the, um, the examples that I hear are um, very applicable towards your own organizational culture, and I really like mm -hmm. it as well. Um, but I heard you talking about um, uh, services and really the, the, the end user as well before. Do you see a difference there in applying this idea of ritual design, for example, for client projects versus internal cultures and rituals? Yeah, I well, I think that the biggest difference is perspective, right? So when you're when you're creating a, a ritual for your customer, uh, of course, you really have to be conscious and of your biases that you're applying it for someone else, what they find interesting, what they're connecting it to, and how they're working. Um, and that is, you're not designing for yourself where you are part of your organization and you are also designing for yourself, which can be easier, but it can also be harder because you have your own biases and needs and wants within your organization. So you can be like, oh, I feel so disconnected from my employees. Could be that you've just started in an organization and no one else has this feeling besides yourself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that can be a bias that sometimes you, you get, uh, you might want to start redesigning the rituals uh from the wrong perspective or maybe from a a very uh self like uh, centered like mm -hmm. a, on yourself perspective um whereas if you're not a part of the ritual you come at it from a much more outsider's perspective and kind of listen and can be more empathetic and so i think that's one big difference where you're designing for yourself mm -hmm. versus for other people um uh then i think with when it comes to organizational like when you're doing it for your organization and trying to change organizational culture, it's very, very important that you get and work very closely and collaboratively with your P&O team. So people in organization teams, whether that be HR, whether that be employee branding or culture or business partners or however you want to call them, the people that are already doing this job. Um, mm. Because there are certain reasons why you might have some, let's say, routines or feedback sessions or rituals or maybe... Uh, there isn't rituals, um, but it can also add tremendously to their workload. So please try and be empathetic and respectful uh, when you as a designer comes in and says, oh, we should do ritual design and apply ritual design to the organization and start redesigning all of your, your rituals. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you might accidentally add quite a lot more workload to <laughs> someone who's already probably on the edge already. Um, but in saying that, I think it's great to bring and apply ritual design um, principles to that as well and you can work collaboratively and hopefully these tools can enable them to also make change as well um, one rule that i always kind of whenever i join a new organization whether that be things like TaxFix or zolando or um, now lufthansa is i always make quite a strong connection and relationship with with the, these teams because I, I really value that but then you know try and take a very kind of service design mindset here where you try and learn as much as you possibly can and uh, take time to learn the, the culture in the field uh, immerse yourself in it take on this kind of learning and open mindset and then start to suggest changes or things where it could be um, as well and uh, because you also then bring a new outsider's perspective mm -hmm. um, yeah I, I can imagine that it's also maybe in the first phase just um, making unconscious rituals clear or, or visible yes uh, because i think rituals are always there but i, I think the big difference with, with ritual design is that it's 
deliberate and, and you're trying to achieve a goal while maybe in the beginning the, the awkward birthday <laughs> um, uh, moments are, are also a kind of ritual with a kind of result. Um, but just visualizing that as well and, and maybe explaining that like, okay, there are rituals already happening, uh, but let's take a look at that and, and see what the result is and maybe we can, we can change that a little bit. Um, I think I totally agree for sure. And, and I think this is also the, the biggest push when I'm doing this talk about ritual design or talking about ritual design is actually this, that, uh, the consciousness factor, like being conscious of your rituals that you have within your organization. Uh, often they've been not consciously designed or defined. Maybe they don't connect so well with the values and principles you have within the organization. Um, and often they're left over from legacy or how just, uh, you know, someone had an idea where we say, oh, let's do this. Okay, let's do this. I think it's also important when it comes to consciousness is to realize the people that maybe aren't being fulfilled by the rituals that you currently have. And that can be something that's worth, worth uh, thinking about. Yeah. I recognize the, the conscious bit of designing it, but also the rituals already happening. And a lot of um, projects where we just um, adopt uh, methodology because they, it makes sense to adopt and reuse methodology like uh, agile working, sprint-based design and development. And in, in, in these methods, a lot of rituals are already embedded. Like you have the, for example, if you have two-week sprints, every sprint you have a demo, then you have your planning, and then in the afternoon you have a retrospective within your uh, team, for example. It's a ritual I, I currently experience in one of my ongoing projects. Um, but in the beginning, it was uh, more of a, um, a start, keep, stop kind of retro, like mm. just reusing the same format over and over again. And uh, what we noticed is in the beginning, we were talking mostly about things to improve. New team, lots of challenges, startup phase, bit of chaos was uh, nice and interesting. But then after a while, we noticed um, we were sometimes dragging a bit too much on the negative, and we wanted to change that. So we started thinking about applying a different retro format, um, one towards uh, learning goals, uh, one about roles and expectations. And kind of choosing these, we, we had our moment anyway, but we could still steer what we were doing with that moment. It actually helped a lot. To, to do this deliberately, but I never thought of it as uh, ritual design, even though I really attended your talk and experienced <laughs> it. It's now it's uh, it's coming it's coming together now. <laughs> so, <laughs> what an epiphany! Nice, yeah, yeah exactly. Nice epiphany now. I think this is also like one of the, the one of my favorite simple ways to apply it is is from from my time at Zalando, where a team was okay, we, where we have exactly the same problem that you mentioned. Well. A lot of our day-to-day -day work is, is kind of dragging us down and we feel like we're not being thankful or not celebrating the work that we're doing and we have such an opportunity here and you know can we can we kind of do something in our day-to-day -day routines to kind of turn it into a place where we connect it with our values and uh, so they just started saying okay in our daily stand-ups or in our weekly stand-ups let's also write down the one thing that we're thankful for from last week and one thing that we're really excited for next week. So then they turned this, you know, Monday, whew, yeah, heavy stand-up where you're like, okay, this is what I did. Yeah, this is what I have to do now, you know, instead of, and then it turns out, hey, 
this is actually something really cool that happened last week. I'm super thankful that we got to do this. This is something that was super exciting. And then I'm actually really looking forward to this in, in next week. So they turned it into a very optimistic style of talk, similar to what you, you just described. And I think that is a very simple application and very crucial application of ritual design where you mm-hmm. actually consciously thought, hey, this is not working uh, for us. This doesn't connect us to our values. This is not what we want our work to become or do or be. And uh, how can we better re- redesign this in a way that actually suits us? And I think, yeah, consciously connecting it to the values that you have, you as an organization is yeah, a great application, a good example. I think that's really true. Yeah. For me, that that's also the um, the focus on maybe in the beginning more rituals related to the product or the outcome of the work also incorporating more rituals for the well-being of the people within the team mm. i see there a difference as well trying to maybe focus more on the on the yeah psychological side as well and also the the human side which also relates a little bit with what you were saying in the beginning that the community aspect is maybe even more important than delivering the best kind of product um, if you can do that, but every, everybody's really being dragged down and, and, and uh, yeah, um, yeah. not really happy at that time, that's also something to watch out for, I think. Yeah, and I, th- I think like us as designers, we're kind of, um, mm, how do you say this, primed for this kind of uh, ritual design as well within our organizations. We like to, once we see uh, problems and challenges, you know, um, we kind of look for solutions and, and we kind of start to try and prototype these solutions. And I think ritual design, especially for me, as I've learned and gone through this journey of understanding what ritual design is, start to be, okay, well, this is actually a toolkit for me to enable good discussions, workshops, um, ideation sessions on how we can better redesign our day-to-day work where we spend, I don't know, a majority of our lives uh, mm-hmm. kind of, redesigning that the works better for us so that we can become more employee centered as well. And, uh, yeah, I think that's super important. That's again, back to this privilege. You have a privilege where you're kind of set up with these tools and then you can enable other people as well to, to do this as well. And I think that's a somewhat of our responsibility as well Mm -hmm. for us to help the team to find the solutions that they want together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Building on that, I was very triggered when you said like rituals don't really or sometimes not always work from the first time. So there's like this element of prototyping, uh, I think, present as well. Um, Can you maybe share an example? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but an example of a ritual that uh, needed tweaking or wasn't right the first time, but along the way got into a better, better solution? Um. Oh, uh, I can't think of anything that, that probably we, well, I have failed a lot of rituals, I have to say. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, that is good. You, you should, yes, you, you should fail, uh, fail forward and, and learn from your failures and see how that goes. I think one of the ones that I, I tried probably is, um, starting a, a new design agency in a new role and then taking on, uh, things like the, the team exchange in all hands. And after a while, what I started to see was that uh, there wasn't so much stuff to share all of the time. Actually, the first couple um, were, were quite uh, there. This also happened a little bit at Zalando. So starting a great initiative, kind of thinking, okay, what can what rituals can we start that might help, I don't know, drive learning, understanding between team members, uh, sharing out of what people are working from, um, 
celebrating success, which is a, often a common principle that people have. Um, and then, you know, it started to patter out. So the first couple were, were great, lots of things to share, lots of great celebrations. But then it's like, oh, well, we have this thing. Uh, the ritual started to turn into a bit of a burden where it's like, we have this thing, but no one wants to share. Um, and so then after a while, <laughs> it might be like, okay, well, we're not going to do it this time, but next time we'll do it when there's something to share. And uh, what I found is that I think in intertwining those rituals, uh, like this team exchange actually into what people are doing in the day-to-day um, mm-hmm. where they might not see the value straight away was was actually helpful. And then also setting up some continuous share outs that happen on on a weekly basis also really helped. But um, it's also okay to completely stop stuff as well. So one time I, uh, at Zalando, we were doing like a, uh, an AMA format for our design leaders. So I would uh, sit there, we would invite everyone. So it might be, okay, we're going to interview this design leader who's great at facilitation. Let's uh, interview them. Oh, this person's really good at doing uh, feedback. Let's talk about feedback with this uh, manager. And after a while, there wasn't so many managers left to interview and we started to <laughs> lose themes and, and stuff like this. Ah, okay, mm, okay, when, when can we do it? Da, 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 da. Um, but then actually what they decided to do is once I let go of the idea, they actually brought it back uh, and, and started doing like an internal podcast with this uh, same theme and bringing more uh, leaders in it, not just design, but product and engineering. And so it actually completely transformed into something new. And I think that's also a great thing where also my ego was like, oh, but that was my idea. That was my idea. Um, but I had to let it go. And, and, you know, then it turned into something even bigger and better. And I think that's also something that's really good. So you can see that adoption and, and transformation and turnaround. Um, I, I really one, like that as well, but, but I can imagine that it's not easy uh, <laughs> because I think I can imagine that you, you, you had the feeling like, okay, we have this nice ritual. We really believe in it. Let's, let's do it. And just as in projects, but even in, in good solutions, sometimes the context change, right? And just as yeah. you said, like, so maybe that the need evaporates after a while because it has been solved, but you don't need really to, to keep it up. So, or you uh, run yeah. out of managers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it also happens. <laughs> you imagine it's not it's not easy to to kill your darlings, right? But uh, yeah, something that we all have to to learn. Yeah, killing your darlings is a good <laughs> one as well. But I think one one actual one thing that I mentioned in my talk as well is a little bit the when it comes to rituals, a lot of the rituals that you have to iterate are maybe things that you've been doing for a long time. Um, so things like uh, the Friday night drinks, if that's your only ritual to connect and bond with people in a non-professional sense, then it's also a great time where you can start to think about, oh, what about the young parents? What about the people who don't drink? Maybe we can also then iterate this as well. So I think it's also, you know, for a lot of people that ritual might work, um, but if it's the only ritual that you have, you can start to exclude people. So I think whilst uh, failing forward and learning a little bit is uh is always positive, um, but yeah, being conscious of the rituals that you already have uh, might not also be working for everyone as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in your experience, um, is there a ritual that that has like had like an un- unexpectedly big impact that you saw like oh we thought that it was just a small thing, but actually it was really um, really impactful within the organization. I think, for example, with the books, I, I really like that um, that example because it's something very small related to a birthday, but the impact is really team coherence and also the culture and maybe even knowledge sharing. And as you said, like, oh, we discovered maybe later on that even our library was getting updated automatically. Um, yeah. Like the, the ripple effect of this very small small ritual is, is super inspiring. 
Yeah, I, I think one of the rituals that we, we started to, um, I, well, I'm a big fan of hackathons. That always works. But on another yearly cycle as well, what we found, uh, things like offsites uh, really started to help build in this new organization. And I think that that also helps so attacks fix, but now also at Lufthansa. I mean, at Lufthansa now, we're actually even developing an offsite booking tool called Clupio. Uh, there's a small tug for the uh, plug for the Clupio team, but but pretty much what they sa- found as well is that you know a lot of teams were struggling to get together in this hybrid way of working in a really good managing way. And uh, I think one of the new things that we started to introduce uh, a little bit at Zalando was also these offsites as well, and that that had such a big impact. Not necessarily going somewhere or together, but just spending a day together to work together, to do some lessons, to uh, do some outreach. I think offsites are such a fantastic time. And that always surprises me how much of an impact that has on the organization. Um, I think that's always been something that's been super amazing to, to see. Every time I start to doubt myself, because it's maybe in such a yearly progress, but um, offsites for me have always been a super impactful ritual. But what really worked at an offsite is also reflecting on the journeys. And that's always something that I love to do when I attend an offsite is to kind of look at the organization from the past and the future. And I think people don't have that much time often in their day-to-day work to stop and reflect. And, and I think that's always something that's uh, been super interesting. Uh, people often you know, attend offsites and they make it all about the work, structuring the new year, uh, make it very functional, this offsite. Um, but they don't often take time to reflect, uh, to learn about the individuals and stuff like this. And uh, I have to say that's been something that's been super uh, good. Yeah, yeah, that's maybe one of the biggest changes I experienced in, in recent years. Um, it's the, the amount of um, meetings that turned into uh, remote meetings. Hmm. And so everything about um, meeting people became more uh, efficient, more functional more about the work but not about relation to each other not about um just having a coffee together or a moment to chat of how are you or what's on your mind or something else you just want to talk about maybe maybe work related which is of course fine but not work related to that specific problem or challenge you're tackling in the next uh, meeting or workshop and often uh these informal conversations between the meetings while walking to the coffee machine i found these sparked most of the um, yeah the interesting follow-up actions like actually we're struggling with this or actually we've been working on this and it's really nice and then you get a nice follow-up from that and then that's not even a functional meeting it's really just having a chat with each other about something and it's it's um yeah, making the time to deliberately do that as well. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a big change. So these offsets, I, I kind of recognize. It's a similar thing you're 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 doing, right? Not making it about the functional all the time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just having joined my first Lufthansa uh, Innovation Hub offsite was also like a, such a change in terms of just understanding and empathizing with my my colleagues that I don't get to meet on an everyday basis. And I think I'm in the office two, two, three days a week. Uh, we have a very hybrid way of working, but we also have, of course, being Lufthansa, a very global company and people from all around Germany as well. And you don't get to meet everyone. And um, sometimes you, you, you really treat them as functional beings. I do this with you, X, Y, Z, we do this together. And that's, that's where it stops, you know, 
and you don't develop that, oh, you're actually a human being. I have empathy for you. I can understand you as a person. I can understand some of your motivations, what's important to you, where your priorities sit. Um, and all of those tacit things that you that you can't learn just by, by talking, but you actually learn by building relationships with them, um, I think is super uh, helpful for your day-to-day work. And yeah, our, our way of working has changed since the pandemic. And even before the pandemic, our way of working was changing. There is changes in our ways of working and they happen very slowly, which often leads to people not being consciously um, aware. I mean, once the pandemic hit, there was a very clear change in our work. We're going to change from this day to this day. And then people were like, oh, well, how are we going to change our ways of work? So it was very clear, but slow, gradual changes like the shift to hybrid working and not coming into the office so much have consequences in uh, the way that we work. So more people are feeling detached. You know, we had um, this like epidemic of, of, of the, you know, the great migration of, you know, on LinkedIn that had lots of jobs. And now we have the a financial turndown. So there's a lot less uh, design positions open. Um, people are not changing jobs as much anymore. They want to feel more secure in their roles. Uh, we had layoffs. I was also laid off earlier this year. Um, so there is still change happening, but we're not consciously replying to these changes. And I think that's also where ritual design has uh, great tools for people to use is saying, hey, the way we're working is changing. Maybe the rituals that we're using back in, I don't know, 2018, 2019 are not the same rituals or same processes we should be doing today. Um, yeah, so that's where, you know, things like Clupio can help or other tools can help where we say, hang on, let's redesign these rituals so that we can connect with our employees because we actually value each other and the expertise that we have and be conscious uh, of what is actually changing and what are the new problems we're facing and how can we handle them? Um, Because I don't even think that, I mean, we hope that HR and, you know, everyone, you know, there's there's P&O and, you know, employee experience teams can handle this and have the answers. They probably have some answers and maybe a little bit more than us. But we as designers also have tools and we can use those tools. And that's also on us to support them. Yeah. Adam, I'm, I'm also curious towards, uh, I think you just said it about this very small rituals you do to maybe uh, be prepared and also be maybe less stressful during the week or know what, what's going on. And um, a big one could be like taking Monday really as a preparation day for the rest of the week. I really like mm-hmm. that as well because sometimes I struggle with if there are workshops plans on Monday, I, I notice that I have a lot of stress because I cannot really prepare for them um, deliberately or it has to be on Friday, uh, uh, hopefully not in the weekend, but then on Friday and, and still quite, um, yeah, I think it's it's more convenient if it's the preparation day is on Monday and then the workshops are through the week. Um, but it also reminded me of a, a book I've run, once read. Uh, it's called Atomic Habits by uh, James mm. Clear. I don't know if you if uh, if you've read it before, but it's, Great it's this idea about micro habits, right? About micro changes in your daily lifestyle. And um, I think we talked a- enough about your work. Um, I'm just very curious if there's this one very tiny habit or ritual uh, that you use personally. Uh, in your life to make your life a little bit easier? Is there something that you can share with us and maybe even give us some advice that uh, if you do that, that's really, really helpful? Oh, I wish I had uh, such a great habit to mention off the top of my head. Um, I think 
well, Atomic Habits is a fantastic book. Let's just start with that. Um, I think what's, uh, I mean, growing up as a brister, I'm actually going to, uh, I think growing up as a brister and working in Melbourne as a brister, coffee is such an important po- point in my day <laughs> uh, to do this. Actually, there's a small ritual that I have, which is a little bit funny, um, okay. that kind of connects with, with my friends on a daily basis. We have this Wordle group, and I, I don't know if anyone, I, that's probably a fad that's so old now, um, that we play Wordle on a daily basis. And so what once a day, I, it's this it word, it's like a word guessing game where you have like the five oh, letters. I think yeah, I've yeah, played it before. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. It was, it was like quite a, a fad. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nice. <laughs> I, I take one moment in a day. I take one moment in a day that works for me. And then I play this game and then I share it with my, my, my dad's on this thread. My, my, my friends are on this thread. It's a quite a collection of random people, but I take my day, take a small break, just disconnect from everything and play this little game. And uh, then we celebrate or share or tease or mock each other, which is a very British uh, way of doing things. <laughs> um, my father's British. And uh, yeah, so so we have a little bit of just a, a disconnect. And I think that yeah. for me is a ritual where, where we play a game, bring back some fun, do something else, and then and then go on and then share and connect with my, my, my support circle, let's say. Um, and that for me is a very small ritual. And I wouldn't even say that was very well designed, but uh, something that's developed quite naturally. And that, that is always for me like quite, quite a funny uh, thing as well. So maybe that I would say. Yeah, great. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, what are you looking forward to in the future? I think you have a lot of, lot of things going on, um, both in your professional job as with the Global Service and Conference. What are you uh, looking forward to? Oh, oh, well, I'm looking forward to the holidays. I'm looking forward to going skiing. Uh, that's something that I picked up when I moved to Europe, actually. Uh, that's always a good yearly ritual for me and an escape. Uh, but no, I'm, I, I think what I'm most looking forward to is, is um, seeing how we develop as, a, as an organization within the Lufthansa Innovation Hub. I think we're, we're a small group. We're about 60 people. But next year, I think is going to be a very exciting year for us and developing this team culture to really help uh, quite a diverse group of people develop better and and throughout the year and bring in more designed and exciting experiences or ventures for for travel and mobility. Um, We've got some very interesting uh, things that are coming. Um, Yeah, so that's one thing. I think one big thing is, of course, uh, being the director of the the Service Design uh, Global Conference for next year is going to be quite a bit of work, but I'm very excited how we can make this yearly pilgrimage, I would say, and somehow for service designers to come to Helsinki. I think my big passion and values there is to, one, is engage the entire global community. I know it's uh, quite a European and American-based conference, but how can we better uh, bring, um, if people have ideas, I'm totally listening uh, right now, uh, to bring the more global perspective as well. So, I mean, we did have um, quite some great speakers from all the different continents. I think we had every continent represented at the conference, but maybe uh, bringing that more uh, actively uh, and highlighting that more, the global impact that service design has, I think that's really cool. That's something that I'm very, very excited to for Helsinki. But also Helsinki is just such a fantastic design culture. Uh, It's a fantastic uh, service design chapter. They have so much expertise there. They're already doing so many fantastic events. So 
I have very, very high expectations, uh, not just uh, for myself and, and the team, but but for the conference itself, I think it's going to be a fantastic thing. So I'm very much looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, I hope I hope that also within the, the ritual design side of things is that we can start to be a bit more conscious about the rituals that we create. It's um, not just you who's looking forward to next year's conference as well. I'm also looking forward to reconnecting with people with you there as well. You're, you will be there as the director, I hope. And um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so um, yeah, it's, it's exciting to look forward to. I think every conference we've been to has been more and more. Um, uh, it's been nicer and nicer because you also start to recognize people. You start to recognize speakers. You, you, yeah. The vibe hits you better every every year, so no pressure for yeah. next year. Um, I'm sure you will do great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I, I de- the 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 role is something of an honor for me as well, and quite a privilege. And I think the conference is a great representation of a really key ritual for service designers. And I did grow up quite religious. I grew up as a Pentecostal Christian, and I draw my some inspiration from that experience in terms of how I felt within that community and organization, how it connected me. And I think I want to bring those learnings a little bit also. So we used to have yearly conferences as uh, someone who got religious. I'm not anymore, but someone who grew up in that way, I think uh, having this yearly pilgrimage where you get together with like-minded people is super important and super special to realize that you're not the only one sometimes for for service designers we can be maybe a a few people in a very large organization and then to get together and share um, challenges and aspirations and learnings uh, with such a big group because we are i mean service design is is a very big growing uh, theme Uh, product designers ux designers you know we're having more and more impact um, and i think like having a space having a safe space and a very interactive space where people can come together is what really inspired me to sign up as the director role. And then I think what would be even more interesting is having these you know, monthly get-togethers as well, uh, which we, we used to have, or weekly get-togethers. Um, and I think that's something that's inspired me. That's something that I see that keeps people interested in service design. And you're right, every year connecting with these great people um, has been a delight. I mean, I know for design conferences, there's quite a lot of them around uh, the world. And I hope that, you know, I can be a good uh, advocate for, for the service design conferences that I've been to and bring people together that I really feel uh, add value and add stories that can really add to the overall skill like you do with the service design podcast. Thank you also for hosting this great uh, podcast as well. I think you do a fantastic job. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can have many more after conference drinks where we get to know great people and network and yeah so yeah thank you thank Thank you adam yeah thank you so much for uh, (laughs) for being here